And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. As usual, I have an incredible episode for you. I never disappoint. Now, I'm sure most people listening have been to some sort of sporting event, uh, college, professional, whatever, and you've probably seen mascots. Now, I'm not talking about the mascots that simply adorn the the team's uh, you know logo. I'm talking about the people who dress up, who get the crowd into it, they make people laugh, they kind of fill this time between baseball innings or quarter basketball quarters or whatever. Now, those guys are pretty ubiquitous. We see them everywhere. They've been around seemingly forever. But they haven't been around forever. As a matter of fact, we can. Historians have, have, have done this. They've calculated the exact point at which sports mascots originated. And it was right in the mid-70s with a man named Ted Giannoulis and the San Diego Chicken. Well, now that I have you on the edge of your seat, prepare for this. You are going to hear the story of that man, Ted Giannoulis, the San Diego chicken. The man who started running around like a chicken with his head attached and enthralling millions of fans all over San Diego, which became a national phenomenon where this man single-handedly started the mascot revolution. And not only that, which is incredible enough, he has been doing this for 40-plus years. The true American dream. You're looking at a guy who's been able to, for his entire career, do the thing that he loves the most and arguably the thing that he is best at. Uh, he is amazing, and and I can't wait to get into this because i got to admit I'm a little jealous. Uh, hey, Ted, thanks for being on the program today, man. I'm honored by the invitation. Thank you, Dan. So now, what is it that you do exactly, in your words? In my words, I dress up in a chicken suit, and I go out across America and cavort. (laughs) (laughs) In in other words, chicken shtick. (laughs) Now, you're kind of downplaying it a little bit, because you have, um, I mean, you're pretty important, uh, an icon, I would say, in baseball, not only in baseball, but in mascot history, because you are essentially, not essentially, you are absolutely the first professional mascot. Yes, it's a good point there, Dan. Thank in you. the time that I called BC before chicken in 1974 when I started, there were no professional mascots to speak of. Now, of course, colleges had the occasional dress up, and so so did high schools. My own high school did as well. But those outfits were basically donned by cheerleaders for a few moments. They ran the court or onto the sidelines. Sure. And then and then remove the head and the tail and whatever else that they were wearing. Amateur stuff. Yes, yes. But I started off um, uh, as an idea for a rock and roll radio station here in San Diego, and uh, and it was supposed to be a one week, two week promotional gimmick, just to go to the zoo and give away candy Easter eggs to all the kids and other patrons coming in. I just figured after my stint as a, as a ruse or maybe to stay on somehow with the radio station to get my foot in the door uh, a little bit longer that I would start going to sporting events. 
and they let me do that for all of two bucks an hour. That's what they were paying me, which was fine. I had no complaints. In fact, I would have paid them if they would have asked just to, to be uh, working in a rock and roll radio station. But uh, I started cavorting around, and it just took off from there. Now, now this is, what's the radio station? KGB. It's one of the oldest stations in America, believe it or not. In America or in the USSR? Yeah, so well, that's interesting. The it is Russians interesting, actually, isn't it? The Russians actually stole that, that moniker, I think, from us. Uh, no, from we got out of here, really? Yes, yes. Because <laughs> the, the, the way they treated you? or how? No, because no, <laughs> no. The station, it's my understanding, started uh -huh. in 1934. That's why it's only got three call letters, you know. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. After the, uh, I guess what, uh, Media Communications Act of, I think, uh, shortly thereafter mm -hmm. by Congress. All, uh, the Media Act of 30-something. Yes, the they, all, all media stations had to go to four call letters. Mm -hmm. But those that were uh, had three could be grandfathered in. Right. Uh, so, they, so, what, so they really took the name? I didn't know that. I, I'm just guessing. It's okay. uh, a side joke. But uh, I know, <laughs> I know KGB Radio had those call letters first before the KGB secret police ever okay. came up with it. <laughs> So you, so you worked for them. Uh, th now, you started out as a car it started out as a cartoon, the promotion, and then they wanted to have a real-life person, the cartoon as a real-life person, and that's where you came in. That's right. It, it was to coincide basically with a, um, a billboard campaign and a short TV campaign that they had of a cartoon chicken, just a line drawing. That's all it was. Yeah. And they figured, well, let's, let's dress up a kid and send him out to... Uh, the zoo and give away candy Easter eggs, and then the thing is done. You yeah. know, the campaign's over. And this was for the ratings period of, of spring of 1974. And so uh, I did that, and I, and I worked my tail off, no pun intended. Right. But the, the reason I, I worked so hard at such an irreverent job was to show the bosses that I was willing to work, uh, and I wanted the opportunity. And hopefully that they would take me out of that kind of work detail and gave, give me something with substance and value uh, and foundation uh, to, to work at a, at a station, you know, for, mm. for uh, better pay and all that sort of thing. The weird thing that happened, Dan, <laughs> is that I got to be such a good chicken that they refused <laughs> to give me other promotions to other work. <laughs> they figured, we, no one else it's can do good. this. And they recognized, can I say this? They recognized. Say whatever you want. That, okay, they recognized that this was the first real, f we didn't know what to call it, but now it's called guerrilla marketing. Mm. They knew something was there. This was a walking billboard. This was an advertisement. And something very unusual started happening with the station. Without any change of programming, format, DJs, their ratings mysteriously started going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And privately, they were attribu attributing the whole idea, the whole thing that we got to walk around billboard here that's going to sporting events and public events and no one else can touch this. This is great. And the fact that I, I try to add a little comedy to it and try to be funny mm -hmm. to try and track, attract more attention, it just manifested itself uh, to a point where it got to be a, a, uh, a, a popular figure in town. Now, when you got this job, now, did you have a background in cheerleading? Did you have a background in stunts, gymna gymnastics? None. Nothing like that? Zero. So how did you get picked? There had to have been some sort of very highly qualified set of skills you must have had. You know, I, uh, how did I get picked? It was by happenstance, yeah. by um, hanging out at the campus radio station uh, the day before Easter break. To show you how casual it was, Dan, the, uh, the uh, representative from KGB walked in and, uh, at the campus and just asked us 
cold turkey, no pun intended. <laughs> hey, anybody want to come to work for us dressed up in a chicken suit for all of two bucks an hour? Did everyone start looking around and walking the other way and getting out of there? Or no, they... everybody volunteered. Oh, no. If he would have asked us to empty trash cans, shine records, and sweep the floors, we all would have had the same enthusiasm to volunteer. Wow. We saw an opportunity to work for a real rock and roll radio station, not a closet student operation like we had at San Diego State. So he suddenly sees five eager faces in front of him, and you could tell, oh my gosh, I, I gotta pick one. And, and, and how do I let the others know that they're not gonna be a part of this? So he looks around the room real quick, he points to me in the corner, he says, you, the short guy, you'll fit the costume best of all. You start tomorrow. And so he had a convenient excuse to tell the others, oh, you're too big for the outfit. Right, right, right. But Danny, let me tell you something. Yeah. Anybody could have fit that outfit after I saw it. <laughs> he had a convenient excuse to get out of there. And he, he worked for the station for many years thereafter, and he admitted it. Yeah, I, I just, because uh, I still know him to this day. Yeah. He says, yeah, no I kidding. just needed a fast excuse to get out of there without hurting the feelings of your friends that they were right. going to be rejected. And you, <laughs> you being the shortest gave me a, a great out. <laughs> so uh, that was it. My, my skills, nothing. All I, I had a fascination for comedy, lifelong. Uh -huh. I had a, a love for sports, mm -hmm. lifelong. And I decided to, to merge the two into a unique act. I wanted to amuse myself, have fun with it. But more importantly, I just figured if I add a tinge of, of comedy, then walk around like a, a Disney character and just mm -hmm. wave hello, that it might attract more attention for the radio station. So I try to be a fuzzy Harpo Marx, for the lack of a better term. <laughs> and it really resonated uh, with the imagination of the, the fans. And eventually, it went nationwide. That's that's incredible. Now, what school is it again? San Diego State University. Go the Aztecs. Go Aztecs. Uh, now, was this your first job? No, my first job, believe it or not, previous jobs were washing dishes, bussing tables, and f uh, sweeping floors. Ah. That was it. But uh, this was an opportunity to, uh, uh, and I was between jobs, so this was an opportunity to... Uh, to seize at a, at a real rock and roll radio station. I wanted to make the best of it. It's amazing. So I was thinking, if, I mean, it must have been your third or fourth job, but I mean, you've had it for how long have you been doing this? This is now my 43rd year. 40, so, you've been, so you've had this job for 43 years. That's right. That's, that's right. job security, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's interesting to note. It's all based on a sense of humor. And I've learned one thing, Danny. It's mm. that uh, this country really does have the best sense of humor of any people in the world. The fact that I could sustain myself in a career as a result. Yeah. Heck. And I do mean, well for yourself. It's not like you just existed. You know what I mean? Like, even when I worked for the radio station, it was unusual that I was there beyond 10 days. Mm -hmm. Radio promotions normally go two weeks, maybe a month max. Yeah. When I was there two months, six months, a year, people were flabbergasted. This is working. Somehow, this is a promotion. Eventually, trade publications, like Radio and Records at the time, it's now um, out of business, but when it was uh, quite the entity, trade, pu a pu trade publication like that came out and, and recognized the, the KGB chicken, as it was known back then. Mm -hmm. They called it the greatest radio promotion in the history of the industry. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's not a small thing. That's a pretty big deal. It was a big deal. It, it still certainly, is. It certainly was. Uh, because, like I say, uh, promotions normally, there are money giveaways, album giveaways, mm -hmm. ticket giveaways, yeah. what have you. But uh, this was ongoing and ubiquitous around town and attracting a lot of attention for the station. That's incredible. Now, the first costume was paper mache, right? Yes. 
Yeah, it was a rental from a local <laughs> shop. It was ugly. It scared babies. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then after a year, uh, we found another uh, manufacturer that uh, came up with a much better design, much mm. more lightweight. And I was very happy about that. But it was difficult work at first, but I still tried to uh, do the best out of it. When I got this lighter outfit, I suddenly became a living cartoon. I could be animated. It was lightweight. I could do a lot of stuff that um, at ball games, mm. and it just freed me. It freed me quite a bit. It was much more comfortable, albeit still very hot. Right. But that didn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How hot does it get in there? Do you have a I've got to say it's probably over 120. I, I, oh, I'm okay. an organic forest, a rainforest in there. It, <laughs> it, I'm just pouring sweat, you know. Good Lord. But but the way I look at it, Danny, yeah, it's it's kind of like um, very therapeutic. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a sauna. It's a sauna, yeah. absolutely. That I don't have to, to rent. You yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> you get it for free, sort of. Uh, no, no, so that was kind of how this thing started. But the real magic is when you started going to the Padre games and doing that, and you got a lot more attention. Now, how did you work out the Padre angle? Well, I just called them up, cold turkey. That's it? That's it. And they let me come down, and they were trying all kinds of well, who, things. Wait, who'd you call cold turkey? The, the uh, starting pitcher? The no, no I, called, I called the front office, talked to a gentleman by the name of Jim Weigel. Oh, Jim and Weigel. Yeah, he's, he's a pushover, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> that's how, that makes sense. Now I know how you got in there. Yeah. He was um, director of promotions at the time, yeah. and he ran it by the uh, upper. You don't need to explain Joe Weigel to me. I know who Joe <laughs> Weigel is, but for everyone so, else. So anyway, he ran it by a, a, everybody, and... Uh, uh, and they said, fine, you know, and so I, uh, um, I was allowed to come down and cavort because back then the Padres weren't drawing very many fans. Mm. And, and they had new management, a new owner come in, and they were ready to try any ideas. And in return, all that uh, Jim Weigel asked for was um, a plug on the air. That's it. Give us a plug that we're playing tonight. Oh, KGB, give K a plug. Yeah, yeah. Give, him, give us a plug on the air. Come on down here. We'll set, a, we'll set up passes for you to come in. <laughs> that was the deal. <laughs> and, and I came in there, and Danny, it was really unusual. I mean, guys <laughs> in a chicken suit just didn't show up right, right. In, in the aisles and take a seat and cheer for the team. Right. Like, was like, Look at that guy. Yeah. What, what is that all about? <laughs> Highly unprecedented. And then I decided to get out of my seat and go and work the aisles a little bit and, and goof off a little bit. And I heard him laughter. I heard some laughter. I heard him laughing. And you know, Dan, let me tell you something. That's the opiate, man. Yeah, it's the opiate. Yeah. Yeah, there's an old adage that says, don't laugh. It only encourages him. <laughs> yeah, Believe it. That's <laughs> exactly what happened. I said, oh, this is good. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Yep. Okay. And I just pushed the envelope a little bit farther and farther. Eventually, I got to tell you this. The Padres started suggesting that I do more and more. And they encouraged me as well because they loved it. Yeah. There was a last place team. They were losing. But management le learned one thing. Their customers were going home happy. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, so we're losing on the field. But we're winning in the grandstands because this guy's running around and having a blast. Right. And people are having fun with him. Right. And Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's, oh, yeah. as we know it, said he was all about happy customers one way or another. And so they gave me a lot of leeway. Uh, and I give them full credit for doing that back in the day. That well, I mean, you put on a sh you have to put on a show either way. And if you're not coming to see a team win, then you should be coming to see a chicken running around in the stands, right? Something. Something. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it was a pretty good substitute 
uh, for the customers at, at the time. And KGB was promoting it on the air, and it just uh, it kind of took off, and I was very happy about that. Uh, but again, the whole premise of what I was trying to do is, is draw attention to the call letters on my vest uh, for the radio station. So now at this time, if I'm remembering my fast food history, Ray Kroc um, was still just serving hamburgers. Do you think you had any influence on, his, on the McChicken? You know, there is, there is some thought to that because fast forwarding ahead, in 1980, mm-hmm. he asked me to uh, go to the San Francisco Trade Food Show. This is where all um, fast food, quick service, and any kind of restaurateurs would gather uh, as a convention. McDonald's wanted to introduce the McNuggets. So they asked me if I would suit up in a tuxedo and go around (laughs) the entire convention with a platter introducing the chicken McNuggets. (laughs) Never done before. Everybody was incredulous. McDonald's is going to serve chicken? Yes. And we're going to have the San Diego chicken at the food show uh, showing off. So they got me a, a, a silver platter with a couple of sauces for dipping, and I went around to all the patrons, <laughs> all the conventioneers, offering samplers like a like cocktail party or That's incredible. And uh, it was a big hit, and it took off from there. That's incredible. I mean, you do have, it's a little weird when you think about it that you have a chicken promoting chicken meat <laughs> to customers. It's a little weird. You know what I mean? Mm. Like if I was going around promoting like human-based hamburgers or something. Like, the way I look at it, Dan, yeah. it helps eliminate my competition. <laughs> if you can't beat them, eat them. <laughs> That's excellent words to live by. Imagine uh, if I'm the last chicken standing. The marketing opportunities <laughs> would be amazing. So everybody, eat those, eat every chicken out there imaginable. <laughs> Have at those wings, those McNuggets, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so when you were so you're working at the Padres, you're getting a lot of uh, popularity there. You had a very lucrative offer from Ted Turner, right? It was really something. Can in, we talk details? Yes, Let's 1978, late 78 in the season. Ted Turner uh, made a pitch for me to come and, and work for him exclusively in Atlanta. He brought me to a, 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 an Atlanta Braves game to entertain their fans there. Turns out, I, I just uh, to preface this, the Padres told me the year before, he actually approached, approached the Padres about trading a player to the Padres for my services, thinking I was under contract to the Padres. The Padres explained to him, he doesn't belong to us. He's a radio station kid. It's a relief pitcher that you wanted to trade, right? Actually, he's a backup catcher. Backup catcher. Oh, believe okay, it okay. or not. Uh, and... and, and uh, uh, and I and they they said we, we we can't trade him even if we wanted to I, he's not, he doesn't belong to the us. chicken's not on the roster <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> so uh, so he did an end around Ted Turner then invited me to Atlanta to come in and perform for the Braves while I was at the game he took me aside sat me down in his front row seat and talked business with me and everybody in the stadium knew what Ted was up to. Yeah. You could tell because fans were yelling out while he was talking to me, sign him up, Ted, sign him up. <laughs> you know, and he'd turn around and wave to them and say, yeah, we're talking here. Yeah. And so Give very interesting. Minute. So he made a $100,000 offer for me to leave San Diego and come and work for him in Atlanta. He was pitching me that he was gonna do all kinds of things in television, all kinds of things in sports. Uh, and uh, he told me something very succinctly. He said, you come with me, and I promise I'll make you bigger than Mickey Mouse. Wow. And I believed him. And because for the money he was offering, 
that was at the time player level money. Yeah, okay? no, absolutely. Yes, yes. Very few players were making six figures at that time. Right. The, there were some, Reggie Jackson and a right, few yeah. others. But when you hit that um, uh, level, then it was, it was special. So it was like another player on the roster. He wanted to do it. Dan, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't accept the offer. And it's, it's, it's a regret I've still lived with. But I Really? Yes. Do you wish you would have taken it? Yes, there's a part of me that says that. No kidding. But I, I couldn't do it at, at the time, and here's the reason why. Okay. When the story leaked in San Diego, the outpouring of emotion was so overwhelming, caught me completely off guard. It was front-page news. There were editorials on the local channels begging me, asking me, don't leave. Wow. Stay here. You've been doing it for four years at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. And I had no idea that the emotion uh, for what had become an icon that I was oblivious to. Sometimes you're too close to the forest to see the trees. True. But then when it's front page news that the chicken is considering a six-figure offer to go to Atlanta and work for Ted Turner, there was outrage in the city. No, you can't take him. Heck, take the Coronado Bay Bridge while you're at it. <laughs> you know, you know, take it all. Right. You know, no, you you can't take the chicken. Right. He is he's our our icon. He's our symbol. He he makes going to sporting events uh, uh, funny, enjoyable. He's he's a he's a part of San Diego culture. Yeah. And in the end, Dan, I I said, holy cow, you know, you you work your whole life to to, to be appreciated. And then when you see it before your face, yeah. is that when you cut and run and leave? So I said, no, I'm staying. Now, KGB stepped up, didn't match Ted's uh, $100,000 offer. At the time, I was still making That's hourly wages. Yeah. I was making about averaging four or five bucks an hour. Which was double your initial salary. Yes. Yeah, it's not yes. bad. But then when they saw what Ted was offering, KGB suddenly stepped up. And offered me fifty grand, almost a thousand dollars a week, and I got to live in San Diego. And they impressed on me: you got the love of the whole city. Entire, entire elementary schools are writing you letters, asking you to stay. You know, and and the emotional aspect of it just made me say, I've got to stay. I just can't go. Wow. And so I had to turn down with regrets uh, uh, to Ted. And, and I still regret it uh, to this day, but I don't regret leaving. So I'm still touring to this very day. Huh. And, and Ted was very upset with me, but in, in the end, he was very respectful. Mm -hmm. And he really appreciated, uh, you know, my thoughts on it. And, uh, and eventually, you know, I, I continue to work for his teams anyway, so there were no right. hard feelings. Yeah. But I, I look back on that uh, moment, and I believed everything that he said and everything that he predicted happened. Yeah. You know, so had I come with him, I, I, yeah, he, the, the chicken in one form or another may have ended up being bigger than Mickey Mouse. Cause <laughs> when he says we're going to do this, he did it. Yeah. He was, there he was, was no guy. CNN at the time. Yeah. There was no massive TBS or TNT or Turner, uh, uh movie Turner channel movie Classics, or yeah. anything like that. No, he said, you're going to have your own TV show one day. I can't tell you how we're going to do it, but we are going to do it. You're going to be big. We're going to send you around the world. You're going to work for all my sports teams, et cetera. Wow. And then he said, I can't do this with anybody, okay? He says, uh, you are the Babe Ruth of what you're doing, and, and I want you here. And I just couldn't do it, I'm afraid. 
That's incredible. I think he even offered you uh, an office next to Hank Aaron. Yes, right? he yeah. did. <laughs> right. That's next, also that, what you turned down. That's uh, he told me that when I was turning him down. He says I was going to give you an offer, an office right next to Hall of Famer Hank Aaron, and uh, yeah, he you railed. Said, I don't care, man. I I couldn't do the it. The love of the San Diego I, people. I, I I couldn't do it because look, the San Diego fans put me on the map with their laughter. That's true. In in the in the end, I just had to take stock and I said I I, I couldn't leave. I I couldn't do it, and so um, a, as a result, I still ended up doing a lot of world travel and and went to all fifty states and continue to p- perform to this day, but. It would not have. It's not as big as what Ted Turner would have done. I'm convinced of that. Well, that is an incredible show of loyalty. One that is is more rare now than it was back then. And I can only imagine that the story and KGB uh, th- that they that they took your loyalty and they really appreciated it for years to come, and you remained a loyal mascot to KGB forever. Well, or was there an immediate lawsuit following that? No, that was about the firing. I mean, about eight eight nine months later. There was a firing. The KGB turned around and fired me, yeah. which was uh, really off the wall. What had happened is that the manufacturer who was making this outfit had recognized that suddenly um, this chicken's getting a lot of attention, and I'm getting a lot of calls for this chicken suit that mm-hmm. is a professional courtesy. I'm not manufacturing. Right. Well, uh, suddenly I can be making a lot of money replicating this costume for everybody that wants it. Mm-hmm. And so he went, to, uh, he went to the station management. Management believed that they owned the copyright. So the two of them were arguing. And, and so the uh, manufacturer said, You're fr- uh, we can make a deal for you to buy the copyright from me. And the station refused, they, arguing they had it all the time. They didn't, manufacturer didn't see it that way. And so uh, the station uh, declined and, and they were they really didn't care if other costumes were going to be made necessarily, but uh, they were convinced they owned the, the copyright. I argued, buy it. The guy wanted, at the time, 2500 bucks, and, and the guarantee we would buy four more outfits. Mm. The station said, we're not doing that. I urged them to buy it. The station turned it down. So I, I didn't want to see uh, cousins of mine nationwide. The mm. way KGB saw it, our signal doesn't go on, go mm, go beyond right. San Diego. What the heck do we care? I said it matters I, because the future is is going to be um, nationwide, and 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 with cable, the advent of cable, and and I mm-hmm. saw heck at the time there, there there was cable radio starting up, right? You know, and I said we we can't have this. So I went to the manufacturer. I said, what's it going to take? I'll buy it privately. I'll take it on myself. Just Make sure it doesn't hit the market. Ted, the same offers for you. So I gave him the 2500 and I paid him, uh, uh, and I uh, guaranteed him I'll buy four more outfits that he wanted at retail. In the next price. 43 years. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, for whenever. Right. And, made, and I made the deal. Well, the station got wind of it. They got terribly upset with it. I said to them, there's nothing to worry about. It's off the market. That's the deal, okay? And you did them a favor, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. They said, you bought the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay, forget it. And they were really upset with me. And so uh, we came to loggerheads, you know, uh, about it. And so then they fired me, and then they filed a lawsuit to prevent me from branching out on my own. Oh, they filed a lawsuit? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we went to court, and uh, that case is still studied in California law classes to this very day, KGB versus Giannoulis. Wow. And the courts ruled in my favor 
and made me a free agent chicken. And so they said he's free to do as, as he pleases because they are, the courts argued and uh, the, the courts cited that I had so embellished the very idea of what KGB wanted. Of course it was their idea. And yes, they provided a forum, but they said, uh, you didn't expect this, okay? Mm. So now the artist has so eclipsed your very idea that it's, it's, re it's really his idea now. It's become his, you know? Just along the line, and they cited Bela Lugosi and Dracula. I said, there have been mm. a lot of other Draculas, right. but the real golden measurement of Dracula is Bela Lugosi. That's true. You know, and, they, and, and so they cited, you know, past, um, past instances of where the Lugo, uh, uh, Bela Lugosi estate um, rightly got royalties from Paramount Studios mm. for future, um, whatever, future endeavors of, of the Dracula character because Lugosi embodied it so much. Right. And they, and they uh, drew that analogy to me. And, and, and so, <laughs> so they said, he's free to go as he, as he wants across the country in, in his chicken suit. Now, for, that's very far-sighted of you. I mean, that's, you really looked into the future and saw that this was, you know, this was the future of what's going on here. I, ironically, impressive. yeah, Ted Turner actually woke me up to that aspect as well. They said, <laughs> that, no, that the future is, is global communication, mm. and let alone global, even nationwide. Even nationwide, right. You know, and I said, yeah, I, yeah how would I feel sitting on my couch and suddenly seeing the Detroit chicken prop up on, on television? <laughs> I said, yeah on cable, you know, or, or a game. So I said, no, look, can't have that. let's take it off the market. And the, the manufacturer just wanted a few bucks to buy his, his, his copyright. The radio station didn't want to do it, so I stepped up. Now, from what I understand, they, they fired you, but they tried to put another guy in this outfit, too. Yes. Yeah, how'd that work out for him? Not them? well. Yeah. And it was, it was a short-lived thing, uh, and it blew up in their face. The, the, the entire town, once again, this was front page news, and the entire town knew that a fake chicken was going to be represented to them out there and they didn't want any part of it and and it was a poor it was a poor intern out of their office he, he, no yeah he didn't have the wherewithal you don't stick a costume at somebody say okay go out there and be funny now yeah no I, the, the guy didn't even dress up for halloween okay <laughs> but they pressed him into like we're going to send you a padre game walk around and they booed him they booed him out of the stands that's it it was it was it it made national news. It's good for you, though. I mean, at home, where you, you probably you had a big smile on your face. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Good for you. I would, too. Yeah. Uh, now, when you were in court, from I was reading some things that said, did you actually wear the suit in court? Because you don't like to be filmed outside of costume. Correct. Right? And I a, actually did wear the outfit in court. And again... <laughs> you take the stand with, in the... <laughs> yeah. For the cameras. Now, the cam for the camera... This was the first time in California law, this is interesting, Danny. Yeah. My case was the first time in California law the judge actually allowed um, cameras in the courtroom. It's no kidding. Yes. Previously, a lot of people might not know this, your listeners might not know this, but previous to my case, which was about 1980, okay, when it, when it came to the courts, yeah. that no cameras, not stills, not anything, were allowed in the courtroom. The judge actually allowed cameras uh, uh, cameras in the courtroom for a brief time uh, during maybe opening arguments and that was it and then they had to leave and so during that portion the judge even allowed me to suit up in the outfit That's okay great. Uh, for the cameras 
and then all the cameras had to exit. Nowadays, it's very commonplace, but back then, it was absolute no-no. Commonplace, the chicken outfits or the- No, no, oh, no, for cameras, cameras, oh, cameras. cameras in the courtroom. That makes right. sense, that makes a lot more sense. But my case was the first one for a judge to allow it. That's incredible. Judge Raul- You're in the history books twice. Yeah, Judge Raul Rosado. Rosado, yeah, yeah. I know Raul Rosado. He's uh, very famous in California. Yes, yes. Uh, now, so when this happened, you were able to take this thing on the road. You could do whatever you wanted. I mean, you were your loyalties were to no one, really, right? You could kind of go After anywhere. I was fired? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I started and getting... And won the lawsuit, and now you're the chicken. I started getting all kinds of invitations across the country. Like the people's chicken. Yeah, yeah the people. You're the people's a, chicken. The new national bird. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the goal, So what's the bald eagle done lately? You Nothing. Know? <laughs> no, Become I started, endangered? No, you're in here. <laughs> I started getting invitations nationwide. Uh, teams, conventions, trade shows, parades. I, I, I was Grand Marshal of Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. Um, I was uh, uh, being invited to t television talk shows. You know, I did Letterman's uh, uh, famous uh, late night show. I, I was doing TV commercials uh, for McDonald's, for FTD, for Dr. Pepper, for uh, Coca-Cola, uh, everybody. You know, um, uh, I was getting, uh, like I say, invitations for uh, like trade shows and conventions and such. So I was on the road about 250 days of the year. This is after the lawsuit. Yes. Now, I just realized I forgot one very important piece of history here. So to win that lawsuit, you needed uh, a surge of cash because it was expensive to have, uh, you know, have a lawsuit against a major radio station. That's right. Now your biggest payday, and arguably the biggest payday in sports history, happened, and that is what tied. You, that's what helped you push you over the edge. In 1979, after I had been fired by the radio station, okay, I was, uh, I had an injunction, a temporary injunction placed on me not to wear any chicken suit at any time. Okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Gotta take that one in. Hold on. That's, That's right. <laughs> but I was determined to make a comeback. And <laughs> Thank so God. in June of 1979, I was going in and out of court and I was penniless. Yeah. I mean, I owed, June, I owed a lot of money. Great period in our, in our nation's history. <laughs> I owed a lot of money to uh, attorneys defending me and I had no way to pay them. But I was determined I was going to make a comeback and it was going to be as a chicken. <laughs> and so I concocted my own chicken suit against against court order. Wow. And I figured one thing, Danny, I'm gonna make my grand hatching, I'm gonna have a big ceremony, make my return at a Padre game, and I am, um, because I'm gonna come back in a chicken soup because I came to the conclusion, okay, if anybody's gonna go to jail for wearing a chicken suit in America, I want to be that guy. <laughs> so I made my outfit and I, I had a gigantic styrofoam egg made uh, to be uh, hatched out of, uh, uh, out, of, out of it at a Padre game uh, on June 29th, 1979, the grand hatching. And I made a little side deal with the Padres. I said, I would like to get a little piece of the attendance action of people who attend. Yeah, now the Padres were, in, were not a winning team at the time. Mm -hmm. They were averaging 14,000 fans. Yikes. So I said, give me a piece, uh, give me a figure that I can attain for every ticket I can sell you over 14000 So they said, okay, a buck and a half. How's that? A buck and a half for every person. For every person. That night on June 29th, more than 47,000 people oh. attended the grand hatching. Wow. And I hatched out of this gigantic styrofoam egg, made that night 
about $43,000, Wow! And every nickel of it, I was able to use as a defense fund against my former employers. And, and it kept me alive. It wow. kept me going. I could pay the bills with, I didn't retain a single nickel. In fact, I ended up spending way more than 44,000 on lawyer's fees. But that one night gave me a cushion and a bumper uh, to, to suddenly uh, continue as the chicken. And then, uh, I, I mean, the, the event was so large in San Diego, even Walter Cronkite sent out a reporter to cover it for his newscast. Whoa. Yes. And I mean, there was media all across the country there covering it. And it was uh, a defining moment, a watershed moment. And sports historians have told me it's, it's maybe the greatest sports promotion in history. Wow. What, what happened? That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I'll have a link to this on the website because you can still see it on YouTube. This thing. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's. It, whew, it's they something. they even delayed the the start of the game. They pushed back the start of the game for the grand hatching. So it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't even technically a pregame thing. It yeah. was an in-game thing. They just moved back the first pitch thirty minutes wow. to accommodate this. That's incredible. <laughs> and so since this happened, you've been doing this 43 years. Have you missed a game? Never missed a game due to injury or injury illness nothing. whatsoever. Never, never. One time I came close when my bags didn't make it. Uh, that was at a game, in, a hockey game in Wichita. And I still, uh, I, my, the body of my suit was missing in action, but I still had my head and tail. So I went out there and, and technically, you know, Took my bows at center ice with a loincloth. I was all bare naked with just a loincloth, my head and the tail, and and explained to the audience my suit didn't make it, but I'll. But the the team was kind enough to say we're going to bring him back next Friday night, and and he'll have his suit then, and and your tickets are still good if you want to come back. And so the team ended up getting two sellouts for the price of one. Wow. You know, but um, but I never have missed a game to injury or illness. If you took my consecutive game appearance streak uh, and matched it against the combined numbers of Lou Gehrig and Cal Ripken, they still couldn't match what, what I've done. Those are two, I mean, they're the Ironmen. Right, right. Their consecutive, uh, those two streaks, I think, come to a, more than 5,000. Yeah. Uh, 5,500. 5, I've done in excess of 7,000. Whoa. Yeah. That's incredible. And these are mostly one-night stands. Right. You know, whereas <laughs> baseball teams go in and play for maybe three or four days in a row right. in the same town. Yeah. The, the bulk of my appearances were one-night stands. Wow. That's incredible. Now, when, while you've been doing this, has anyone else ever portrayed you, or have you been the chicken every single time? I've been the chicken every single time. Have you, Ted? Yes. I, I, I've been in, in, in games. Oh, have you? Yeah. I, I'm talking about any time. About any time. There have been a, a couple of times. One time I was in... Yeah, come clean with me, Ted. Oh, yes, Come clean yes. with my audience here. No, it's, it's, it's in print. Okay. Oh, it's in print. All right. One time um, uh, I, I double booked myself at a, at a basketball game in uh, uh, in Detroit for the Pistons and the Citrus Bowl parade down in Orlando. And I, I hadn't realized I booked myself twice on the same night. So I uh, I called up the, or, uh, the Citrus Bowl people and I said, hey, listen, um, please understand. They had me for the game the next day, okay, which I was, mm, I was oh, I see. okay. Yeah. But I, they wanted me for the parade as well. And so I said, hey, listen, I can't do the parade. I booked myself in Detroit for a basketball game. I got to do the game. 
okay? So can we just forego the parade? And they said, Ted, it's just a parade, man. They said, look, can't you just send somebody in a costume? We're, you're just going to be in a, in a convertible. We're going to send you down the avenue, and you're done, okay? That's it. Just, just wave, okay? And, and the, the bid is done. And they, they insisted, oh, please, okay? I said, okay, all right, I'll do that. I'll send an assistant down. Uh, you can suit him up, stick him in the back of the convertible, send him down, it's done. Well, that night I'm doing um, the, the basketball game. Somebody down in Orlando is, is, is watching the game, and then they see on the news that the chicken, oh, okay? Man. So they watch the game on cable, but then on their local news they say, what's the chicken doing here too, okay? And so he mentioned it to the local paper, you know, to say, hey. I said, yeah, I missed that one. Okay, one what are you going to do? Right. <laughs> what, what can you do? It was at the behest of the Citrus Bowl officials, okay? And, and they're my clients, so I gave in, okay? So I, I did that, okay? And, but I didn't miss the game. The, the next day, I did not miss the game. I was okay. there for the Citrus Bowl itself. But there's another man in the chicken costume right. for an event. Has right. this ever happened again? And, and one time... One time, uh, about a few years uh, previous to that, in the 80s, um, I was to make a Christmas appearance for the Padres at the gift store, um, and, and I was fogged out in Des Moines, completely fogged out. And the uh, vice president of, of marketing said, uh, what, what can we do? And I said, I, I, you just have to forego it. He said, we're going to have a lot of people here. They want to take pictures and such. They're going to bring their kids. So he says, do you have an extra suit at home? And I said, yeah, I do. He says, do you mind if I put it on and go out there and represent you? I said, go ahead. So he put it on there, okay, and he posed for all the pictures with the kids. It was almost like a Santa Claus thing, right, you know, right. only at the, at the Padre store. Right. And so he did that while I was still fogged in in Des Moines. <laughs> well, there is, there is two other cases. We won't count the intern that portrayed the chicken right. or the KGB. There is one other case, Ted. That I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on blast on this. Is it when Pete Sampras wore it for the um, ESPN spot? No, when Pete Rose wore it in oh, WrestleMania, oh. the chicken suit. He was wearing the chicken suit. That was not you. That was Pete Rose. That's right. Well, you got, as the you story. look kind of similar, but I'm not I'm not fooled, Ted. That's right. Well, busted. I just busted you. Yes, yes. Busted. That's right. That's right. At, at the at the uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, 15. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm aware. I'm a fan. Pete Rose had this running feud with um, Kane. Uh, with Kane. Yeah. Yes, Big Kane. Big Kane. Yes. Big Red Machine. Yes. And, uh, and Kane was getting the better of him, but mm -hmm. since I had already made an appearance at WrestleMania, Pete Rose gets the idea, okay, wait a minute, I'll tie up the chicken, steal his chicken <laughs> suit, put it on, <laughs> jump back in the ring, and then get a free slug at Kane when he thinks I'm really the chicken. Kane gets suspicious, rips off the head in the ring, sees that's Pete Rose again, pile drives him into the canvas, and poor guy's got to get carried away off on a stretcher. <laughs> Kane, the mighty Kane. I remember that. That was a good one. That was a good one. But that was that was not you. That was Kane. that was not Pete me. Rose. Pete Rose literally carjacked my costume. <laughs> Uh, now let's talk about. So there's a couple of. Now you've been sued actually several times, which I found kind of mind blowing. Uh, one of them was uh, a lawsuit with the Barney owners, the people oh. of Barney the dinosaur. They got really upset in the in the um, uh, 1990s. Uh, I was doing this parody of a Barney sketch where Barney would come out 
and and challenge me out of the blue to a dance contest. Right, right. And and <laughs> which and, is great shtick, by the way. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's really good. It's really funny. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, we go toe to toe in a dance off there, kind of like a Soul Train dance off. Sure. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, in this last in this last bit. Uh, Barney breaks out these breakdance moves yeah. that just wows the audience. I can't match those. <laughs> no. So I have to bow to him mm-hmm. and I surrender, you know, and uh, and then he cops an attitude. Leave it to Barney to cop an attitude. Of course it, he would. It's So jealousy is between us. It turns into a slap fight. He pushes me down. He starts uh, uh, scooting across the field. I chase after him and I tackle him and I pin him on the field, okay? And then eventually... I take him over the railing of the dugout and dump him in there, okay? <laughs> and the crowd goes nuts. Yeah. Well, the Barney people get all a little bit like out of shape. They take me to court. Courts, once again, ruled in my favor and uh, said, wait a minute now. This is parody. This is protected by First Amendment. It's free speech. So Barney, Barney had, uh, they lost the, the, the thing. They lost the, uh, their lawsuit. And uh, Barney even had to make restitution for my uh, my legal fees as a result. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. So, but uh, and it's and uh, I've I've still done it. Not not every day like I used to. Yeah. But off and on, I, I continue to do that, that, that one. Bit. It's yeah. a good bit. Yeah. Uh, now I'm from Chicago. I've made no secret about that. Now I found there are actually two lawsuits against you from Chicago, which also kind of shocked me. I imagine that these these involved injuries, but I imagine this is all part of what goes on. But there was a pitcher in the minor leagues that I think that you tackled and separated his shoulder, who then went on to become a good pitcher. That's the narrative they put out. So it, what happened? It turns out he tackled me in oh. in a bit that he improvised. No kidding. Yes, with his teammates. Okay, and uh, this was after he had hit a home run, and and I was coaching at first base in this exhibition game. <laughs> in the chicken outfit. Yeah, in the chicken outfit, of course. Yeah. And so <laughs> I I make believe that I'm going to block him from home plate. Okay, just extend my arms. Now this guy is six feet. Five, yeah. about 235 pounds, yeah. and I'm five foot three, and at the time 145. Uh-huh. So anyway, so I'm making believe I'm going to block you from home plate. Right. So as he's rounding third base, he kind of gets into a crouch position, like he's going to bowl me over, uh, like a fullback, and 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 he does obviously. Yeah. But as he lands, he he lands um, on his shoulder. Uh-huh. Okay, and separates it. And he goes on the disabled list for two weeks. Of course, his teammates then also come out and gang tackled me as well. So we're on the bottom of the dog pile. Right. So uh, supposedly he either injured it when when he fell over me, or when his teammates came out and gang tackled all of us. You know, like I a see. massive yeah. dog pile. Well, he he's got to go on the disabled list for two weeks, and then about a year later, he files a lawsuit arguing that. I tackled him. That wasn't the case. Wow. Yeah, and and back then, while there wasn't video, yeah. there was some still photography uh, by the local newspaper. We presented that, and the courts ruled in my favor and said, "No, he's not guilty." And that's incredible. Yeah. I can't believe that. I didn't know that was that's what. So that's what, how the outcome was. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, but their narrative was that I I tackled this big guy. No, <laughs> no, it's vice versa. Wow. You know, but and it's unfortunate he he injured himself. Yeah. But I was really surprised that. Somehow he decided that oh I'm going to sue this guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just seems weird that like especially athletes, you wouldn't think that they would go after a mascot for something that they did. You know, there's a lot of machismo in in athletics. It's kind of surprising. I was surprised too. <laughs> yeah. I was really surprised as well. But that's um, I, I I don't know. That's uh, that was a sign of the times. Yeah. 
Now, there's also a lovable incident. What happened here? Yeah, this was a cheerleader yeah. who wanted to get involved in, in a Getting bit that I did with other cheerleaders, and she injured herself. So then she um, uh, uh, filed her own lawsuit and, and took me to court. And we had a trial, and the insurance company was great with me. They said uh, uh, my insurance company was absolutely, they were very much in my corner about this, okay? And there, uh, and at that uh, trial, I feel wrongly so, but they, they ruled for the, the cheerleader. Hmm. Now, I never ended up paying a nickel, okay? And, and I don't know what the eventual outcome was uh, of that, but they, they, um, they went for her. And, and uh, it was one of those things that after the trial, we went um, several days with it. And uh, I think because it was on a Friday afternoon, they just wanted to wrap it up and get out of there. And I'll tell you right now, it was a hometown decision. Hmm. Whereas, whereas the baseball player, yeah. that, that was in Iowa. That, that was adjudicated in Iowa. Oh, right, right. So that wasn't uh, so much of a hometown decision. For, uh, it was more of a neutral, sure. a, a neutral approach to the, to the case. Well, here's what's interesting is because a lot of what you do is fun and you involve other people, but there's, I mean, you got to care. There's liabilities. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, so you got to imagine stuff like this comes up. I mean, how does insurance work for that? Like, is it is it unique? Do you, I mean, how do you get? No, that? it's like any other any other endeavor. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, whether you're a, a a a taxi cab driver, a bus driver, a a a contractor, a, a house painter. Yeah. Everybody carries liability insurance. You know, and and so I did as well. It's just. It's just a part of business. Even if you run a corner store, that's you, crazy. You know, yeah, you, you've got liability in insurance. So uh, it it's just uh, it goes with the uh, with the landscape of, of having a small business. And because I mean, for for as many years you've been doing this, I mean, you've kind of interacted with everyone. Like you arm wrestled Randy Jackson. Yeah. Uh, you even popped on stage with Elvis. How did that turn out? For yeah. You? Oh, that was an <laughs> amazing moment. Yes, Elvis when he was alive. Oh. One of the uh, the Elvis, not Elvis the Costello. Elvis. I'm talking no, about Elvis no, Presley. This is the real. No disrespect deal. to Elvis Costello, but this April, is Elvis Presley. April 1976. He's at the sports arena, and and as as was the case back then, uh, on behalf of KGB, I would not only do every sporting event in town that I could. I did concerts. I did everything. I was ubiquitous. So here was Elvis, and and security's giving me the stink eye, like don't even think of going down there with Elvis, because. A lot of bands would actually bring me on stage with them. Sammy Hager, the Ramones, um, Jay Giles Band, George Thorogood, everybody. They see the chicken, come on up here. They brought me up on stage. But here was Elvis, and uh, like I say, security was giving me the stink eye. Well, in the middle of a show, Elvis breaks into a medley, and, and, and he breaks into a song, a 50s medley, and one of his songs that he was doing was the cover of Jerry Lee Lewis's whole lot of shaking going on and I said to myself this is my moment I'm going down there because there's a line in the song we got chicken in the barn whose barn what barn my barn right. so I'm thinking that's perfect that's your cue. I'll dance in front of Elvis down on the aisle there in front of the stage right under him while he's singing the, the, this song so I go down there I, in the darkness of the sports arena I go down the aisle, right up to the stage. Not on the stage, but you know, I was the stage was about eight to ten feet high, and I'm dancing below it. And Elvis sees this as as a surprise to him, and he starts cracking up, Dan, and I mean really laughing. It's to the point he cannot carry his lyrics anymore, okay? <laughs> and he's forgetting his lyrics. Then he's laughing so hard while I'm dancing. I'm distracting him so much so 
that he drops the one knee to catch his breath. He's laughing so hard. Wow. Now the band behind him can't see. They're, they're recessed a little bit farther back on the stage. They can't see as well. And they're in shock. Well, they continue playing, but now a lot softer. They think Elvis is having a seizure. And he had had wow. a seizure like a year before. Yeah. That made big news. And he news. was big at this time. Oh yeah, he's he was big. Yeah. This is this was though in the in the time that they call the fat Elvis. Yeah, okay? I was gonna say he wasn't in great shape. He wasn't in great shape. But still he was Elvis. But the right. band is 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 taking note and now they're in they're stunned. And they're playing softer and Elvis has, has got no lyrics coming out and he's down on one knee laughing and he's still looking out at, over at me and I could tell because his eyes were tearing up and the Klieg lights were reflecting off of his tears. You could see the plain as day yeah. and he's laughing, trying to catch his breath. The doctor runs onto the stage, the infamous Dr. Nick with his black bag, three-piece suit, his Nick. white pompadour and he opens up the black bag, he pulls out the stethoscope right there with Elvis on one on knee. On stage? On stage! And while wow. the band is still playing, attempts to get Elvis to lay down on the stage. That's crazy. Elvis is shaking him off. He's shaking him off. And 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 finally, Elvis uh, just points <laughs> to me out down in the aisle. And the doctor looks over there and oh, you can see him roll his eyes, maybe swear to himself, <laughs> puts the uh, puts a stethoscope back in his bag. Security! <laughs> exits, exits, the, uh, exits the stage. Yeah. Elvis collects himself. Security has not touched me yet. Because uh, I'm still dancing out there. Sure, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're making a, they don't want to make a scene. They don't want right. to create the, this scene. Elvis collects himself. He turns to the band, signals to them to keep, keep going, and he finishes the song. Yeah. After the applause for the song, Elvis turns to the audience and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you all can see back there, but you gotta believe me, there's a chicken dancing down <laughs> here in front of the stage. And the audience acknowledges, you know, through yeah. applause, yeah, we, we know, we know yeah. who, who he is. Elvis comes up with a great line on the spot. He says, I don't know who put the chicken up to this, but I wanna warn him, my manager's name is the Colonel. Okay, <laughs> so I feign all kinds of, uh, of fright, <laughs> sure. and I peel right back up into the concourse of the sports arena. Yeah, and there, the security was waiting for me in mass. Four or five guys. They all pick me up by the limbs, and they run me right out the door. No kidding. Right out into the parking lot. Throw me down there. Tell me to get the hell out of the premises. And they read me the riot act. Wow. And I, and I said. I said, what are you guys mad at? I made the king laugh. Yeah. What's wrong with that? It's a great moment, okay? He actually laughed. The audience had fun. They told me to get the hell out or they'd have me arrested. And so that was that. Wow, that was that's such a violent reaction too. Yeah, but you know, I couldn't care. You know what? Because I didn't touch Elvis. the ground, Danny. Yeah. I was walking on a cloud. That's Elvis, I said, man. That, that was Elvis. I, not everybody can say, they they can stop the king in mid show, but I did. And and you you've met presidents. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is the. I mean, you're talking about a story with the Elvis, but you've met presidents. I mean, you're, this is real. Presidents have asked me to come out and and uh, uh, a, a quick. Presidents of the United States. I mean, not like yes. presidents of like your local motor club. First time was 1976 in October, and uh, Jerry Ford was uh, running. Uh, for the presidency, came out to San Diego for a rally. I get a call from the White House asking if I might attend and be in a celebrity lineup in San Diego uh, for all the 
celebrities welcoming Jerry Ford. So I said, well, yeah, that's quite a high honor. So there I was on the stage in front of 20,000 people at this huge parking lot out here at, uh, in, in uh, uh, La Mesa, a suburb of San Diego, uh, to welcome uh, the president. And I'm there at the very end. John Wayne is there, uh, Wayne Newton, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Shirley Babishoff, the Olympic gold medalist swimmer, Rod McEwen, the poet, is there. Uh, a few others are there. And he's acknowledging everyone. And then he finally gets to me, and he says, and the chicken. I want to welcome the chicken. I love the chicken. And so the loudest ovation was for me. <laughs> and the crowd's going nuts. They lost and their minds. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe this. So, again, don't laugh. It only encourages him. I bolt from my position on stage. <laughs> I run all the way across uh, the stage, hug the president of the United States, pull him from the podium, raise his arms, okay, in, in a V for victory thing. The place is going nuts, okay? I put his arm down, shake his hand, I exit. I figured I'm going to get busted for this. A lot of people talking into their wrists at this yeah, point. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so as the president begins a speech, I descend from the stage with all the celebrities. I get a tap on my shoulder. <laughs> Chicken, can we have a word with you, please? <laughs> I said, this is it. I turn around literally with my wrists up. Right. right. I'll, I'll go along peacefully, officers. Yeah. But no. It's not Secret Service. It's uh, um, Ron Nesson. He identifies himself as the press secretary to President <laughs> Ford. And there's wow. another gentleman with him. And he says, I want to introduce you to Jim Naughton. He's the senior political editor of the New York Times. And I said, oh, wow, okay. Well, Jim Naughton says to me, he says, Chicken, what you did was Chicken. the funniest thing I've ever seen in, in my career of covering politics. He says, would you do me a favor? Will you sell me your costume? And I'm thinking, sell you my costume? What? You're what? And Ron Nesson says to me, Jim's quite the practical joker. Is there anything you can do for him? And I said, well, I, I can't sell you my outfit. It's how I earn my livelihood. I've got a spare head you can have. He says, spare head? Deal. Okay, <laughs> will you take 100 bucks for it? I said, Sure, I'll get the New York Times to pay for it when I get home. It's, it's yours, not a problem. What are you going to do with it? I got ideas. <laughs> I give him my spare chicken head. Sure enough, two days later at a press conference, presidential press conference, who gets up and dons the chicken head to ask the president of the United States an agricultural question <laughs> about his policies? Oh, the play, everybody had a lot of fun with it, okay? And Gerald Ford got such a kick out of it he asked for that head, and the editor gave him the head, and in, wow. to this day, it sits in the presidential, uh, the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Museum and Library in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. And that's not the only place. You got this costume in the Baseball Hall of Fame as well. I mean, yes, they have a very nice display of me. I'm not inducted in there, Dan, yeah. but they have a huge display, glass encased, I'm stuffed and mounted. And it's a wonderful, I've got to say, a wonderful tribute. Uh, I, I, I've got to say, I'm really taken aback that they, that they did this. But people come up there with selfies and, and pose for him. And I get pictures of these uh, uh, printouts to sign and send back to them. That's and so yeah, but yeah, it's, a, it's a quite an honor. Because yeah, you're in the mascot hall of fame, but not in the, officially in the baseball hall of fame. But from what I understand, you're on the next ballot. 
No, in for the baseball hall. For of the fame? baseball hall. Of fame. Oh, you know, I, I'll never be a, I'll never be inducted. No, 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 no. Why? Because Pete, Pete Rose was in your. Office? No, no, <laughs> no, no. I think the baseball hall of fame is about stats, you know, but not lore, you know. And That's so, fair. But uh, and besides, if if they have since they have a players' wing and they do have a broadcasters' wing. It's a reach for them to think that one day they'll have a chicken wing, you know. <laughs> but I, I tell you, I take it as a high honor they, that they even have my suit stuffed and mounted and fully on display there. It's, it's, uh, it's quite the compliment. Well, I got to tell you, there's, there's no better place to end this interview than on the Baseball Hall of Fame and Elvis, and this is the <laughs> perfect place to do it. Uh, Ted, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. This has been incredible. <laughs> well, you're very kind, Dan. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure being on with you. Well, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos, with music and sound design written and performed by E. A. Barrientos. If you want to check out all of my other episodes, go to fascinatingnouns.com, where you can listen for free on the website. I got an added bonus for you if that wasn't enough. Bottom of the page, you can go to all of the forms of social media and other ways to interact with not only the show, but with me directly. We got Twitter there, at uh, Daniel J. Glenn. The show is at Fascinating Nouns. You got Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn Facebook page, obviously facebook.com backslash fascinating nouns. You can even check out all the supplemental material on the YouTube channel link there at the bottom. You can check out this and other episodes, all kinds of additional bonus footage. So enjoy and thank you for listening. End of transmission.